last week, as you may recall, oh, plus there's a picture up there, yeah? Yeah, our IT girl, Jordan, is out with a cold or something, and our friend Judy is watching, who's at home, not, uh, she's a little sick too, and it's ask our prayers. Okay, so there's a picture up there, yeah? Yeah. Okay, you know what that is, right? dancing yes the jews dancing okay it's a it's a hebrew wedding so it's one of those things we've talked about off and on but we should really talk we should spend an evening talking about uh the whole hebrew wedding because it's so descriptive of things that happen in scripture and we're going to hit a little bit of that tonight so i thought i'd put that picture up but last week this is sort of a continuation of that we were talking about um how yahuwah desires obedience and not sacrifice and remember i used the apple the rainbow apple the original apple with the bite out of it um, because it's a picture obviously of just that he desires obedience and not sacrifice and they didn't obey so their disobedience led to death and separation from god so every time you see that apple with a with, with a bite out of it you should be thinking disobedience brings death and separation from god you shouldn't be thinking oh my new apple iphone uh, but anyway we were talking about obedience and not sacrifice and we read a bunch of verses to that effect uh, we were looking a little bit we were cleaning up the uh, the account remember yosef egypt uh, viceroy saved all of israel uh, his father was dying. He took his sons and <clears throat> Yaakov blessed his sons. And remember the whole crossed hands thing. So he put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older and he blessed them. And he yes. said, may their name be, be called my name. And his name, of course, was Israel. So he adopted these two. And then just a verse later, which, you know, you don't know how long that is in biblical time. But and remember, his eyes were dim. He was blind. So he looks over and he asks his son, Yosef, who are these? Well, it was, of course, the sons he had just blessed, right? And he had just adopted. But he didn't recognize them because they didn't look like Hebrews, right? Because Yosef was the viceroy of Egypt. So he was head shaved and the big gold collar and all of the things that the Egyptians do. He spoke like an Egyptian. He lived... Uh, out of the land in Egypt. So it's a pretty clear picture of when you get the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda together in Ezekiel 37 and Paul, you know, Romans chapter 11 and all that stuff, and a hundred of those verses that we've looked at. Um, they don't recognize us because we don't look like they expect us to look. The, the Yehudim do not recognize us for the same reason Yaakov didn't recognize his grandsons because we live in the world we live outside of the land we don't look like Hebrews we don't talk like Hebrews we don't unfortunately think like Hebrews and we don't seem to be to them Hebrews and yet that's the house of Israel right they were scattered about the nations and they've they, they're still scattered they have not been brought back yet so that's that's us so we sort of looked at you know some of those things why the Yehudim don't consider us to be uh, brothers because we don't 
We don't fill the, we don't check the boxes of what they're expecting. So we sort of left off here at Shemot, Exodus, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 11. And we're working on that right now. This is going to be a two-hour deal, I can tell. So get in a comfy chair and pour a cup of coffee. Shemot, do we get that up yet? It's, it's hard when your IT person's not here. <laughs> so I'll just read it. It'll come up eventually. Shemot, I mean, you know this anyway. Exodus chapter 20, if you recall, Exodus chapter 20 is um, the classic Ten Commandments chapter. So it begins this way in verse 11. Remember, and that word is zakar, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But in the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahuwah, thy Elohim. And in it, Thou shalt not do any work, uh, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gate. For in six days Yahuwah made Aleph Tav, the heaven and the earth, which is exactly the same way Genesis 1-1 reads, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, Yahuwah blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So it's, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That word is zakar. And it means remember in Hebrew, but it doesn't mean to just, oh, yeah, there's the Sabbath. It means to act on it. You can't, it, it doesn't ask you to just remember it. You have to do something now that you've remembered it. And when you go to almost any church and you see the, you know, the, typically the altar, the table up front, it'll, especially if it's a Catholic or a Lutheran church, it'll say in remembrance or remember or something, you know, you go up to take the Lord's Supper, which is actually the Passover, it should only be done once a year. Um, that's the word, zakar. And it's telling every person in that, that assembly not to just remember it, but to act on it. And this is the same thing. You're, you're, you need to remember that the Sabbath is holy, but you also need to act on it. That is to do it. Um, but often, alas, we... He does say rest. We, we don't. He does say rest. Yeah. And it's his day. And you should rest and remember him. And you yeah. should do something about that. But we don't, because that's not our culture. So the question then, you know, from, from last week and the week before, remember Dave Baker, the blind man, asked me, he said, well, you know, when you die and you're absent body present with the Lord, and you're standing in front of the Lord, who's going to say no? Right? You, you would assume anybody with any sort of Christian upbringing would recognize uh, Yeshua as Yeshua and throw their arms around him and, you know, be, be saved. <clears throat> so if that's true, and I asked this question last week, what is it, what does it matter? Why, why are we here? Why do we even do this? I mean, the food is awesome. And tonight was especially awesome. But why do we do this? Because if, if everybody is saved, you know, when you get to the, to the, to the Bema seat and you see the Lord, you go, oh my gosh, you know, well, I don't know. We could be enjoying, you know, a nice bacon-wrapped lobster tail right now. <laughs> Thank you. I've been waiting for three weeks for somebody to say that. Because his little story isn't true. Nobody, well, that's not true. Somebody would. But most, any, anybody who claims to be a Christian, if they suddenly die, find themselves, you know, got shot in front of the Lord nobody would say, oh, no, 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 that's, I, I want to go with him. 
you know, but that's not how it works. We don't make that decision. He makes it. And that's, it was classic when he said that, because that's the total fallacy of the church today is we, we impute all this stuff to us. Like we're God, we're in charge, we have nothing. I mean, he's God, he's the guy. He makes the rules and he lays them out pretty clearly. So no bacon wrapped lobster tails next week, although they would be good. Um, so it's, it uses the word holy and hallowed. Both are the word kadash, as in Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit. But in Hebrew, of course, reads right to left. So it doesn't read the Holy Spirit, it reads the spirit of holiness. And when you think about that, that's really a different deal, because we read it as the Holy Spirit, and we attribute it to a guy. It's this dude. It's the third guy of the Trinity. And that's not really true. It's he imputes to us, we can be indwelt with the spirit of holiness. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, you can look at it as our conscience. Sure, but everybody has a conscience. Not all of them are good. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that cartoon. But it's just, it's, it's one of those, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. But once you get, and this is, again, we talked about this lady that I know that is, um, what does she say? Led by the spirit, no, covered in the blood, led by the spirit, a Bible-believing Christian. Hmm. I'd say you're 0 for 3, but be that, okay, let's go on. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 24. It'll probably be up there. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you should be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, Kadash, within you and cause you to walk in what? In my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your Elohim. So it says he will put a new spirit in you. Well, that's this, 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 this new covenant you hear so much about. The old covenant was written on tables of sapphire stone. And it was the, you know, the Ten Commandments we all know and ignore, and a bunch of other stuff. And he took it, it took it off the sapphire stone, off the, the uh, stones that uh, Yahshua covered in limestone and wrote the, uh, the words of the Torah in. And he puts it in your heart. Well, that's the new covenant, according to this. It's moved from, from the page to your heart. Well, how does that happen? Well, that's the indwelling of the spirit, right? And that's what he's talking about. And what is the purpose of him taking the covenant that was written in stone and putting it on your heart and indwelling you with his spirit of holiness? And he says, it's to walk in my statutes, that you will keep my judgments and do them. And if you can do that, then you shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your Elohim. So it's pretty simple, but notice how he cleans you. Did you get that? Because they had to use him to do it with the, the 
The ephod? <laughs> no, no, that's something that's something different, but it's very cool. How did he clean you in this verse? He sprinkled his blood on you, right? Because you're covered by the blood, led by the spirit and a Bible believing Christian. Except that's not what it says. It says he sprinkles clean water on you, the water of life, the water of the word. And that's what cleans you up. So uh, there are several things you can use as a discussion verse tonight when you're talking to other people. And this is one, Acts chapter 5, verse 32. So when you are talking to your friends at church, just ask them, hey, what do you think it means when it says, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Holiness, whom Elohim has given to those who obey him. Okay, so that would mean if you don't obey him, you are not indwelt with the spirit of holiness, right? I mean, is that too big a stretch? As he says, for you to be uh, to receive the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit in English, he gives it to those who obey him. So no obedience, no Holy Spirit. So that's kind of interesting because most of these people who said, oh, I'm led by the Spirit, covered with the blood. I think they say that because then they don't have to obey, right? Because I, these people don't, for the most part, you know, the, you know, the type, the Holy Spirit, oh, I'm led by the Spirit, and I do whatever he says, and fine, great, awesome. But what kind of Spirit is it, and I think this is a legitimate question, what kind of Spirit is it that's telling you not to obey the things God said? I mean, if, if you're being led by the Spirit and you don't want to obey the things that he said because it's bondage to you, which Spirit is that that's leading you? I'm just asking the question. Um, I think most people who say that, and I, I think most Christians in general, or people who call themselves Christian, but the ones who are led by the Spirit, I think they're led by the Spirit so they don't have to obey his rules. If you go to a, a denominational church, Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, you know, whatever, um, you don't have to obey the things that the Lord said. You have to obey the things that the church said. And if you're Catholic, I mean, they don't even make bones about it. They flat up tell you that the Pope is ahead of God. The church is ahead of God. Yeah, then there's, you know, the Bible thing. But really, who listens to that? You know, bless you. So if you're led by the Spirit, or if you're a denominational Christian, you don't have to, you don't have to obey him because you, you obey the church or you obey the spirit or whatever. They what? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. The golden calf. Exactly right. Um, but throughout scripture, and we've read hundreds of these verses, he says, obey his commandments. And when you get to the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, and you all know this, three times as it describes the remnant of the people, the seed, presumably those that are saved, it describes them as those who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach. So you have to have both. Okay, so 
uh, Acts 5.29. And again, with all these verses, I don't have time to, to read the entire chapter, but you guys can go back and read the chapter of whichever one of these verses tickles you and find out what the context is. And this, this context is, you know, Peter was in jail and, you know, he got out and they said, don't speak about this again. And of course, what does he say? Peter, Peter and the other apostles answered and say, we ought to obey Elohim rather than men. Well, that seems, duh. It seems pretty simple. You ought to obey God and not men. Except most people don't. I mean, certainly the people who don't even claim to be believers don't. But the people who claim to be believers don't. They listen to the Pope. They listen to the church. They have this spirit in them that leads them away from being obedient to God. Whatever it is, most people, and you know this right off the bat, because how many churches do you know meet on the Sabbath? Not me. So right out of the gate, you know they're not listening. That's the whole deal of Seventh-day Adventists, yes. And I think the Jehovah's Witness do, you know, all these cults do. And as it turns out, they're really not as cultish as you would have thought. Um, you know, and obviously Messianics do and Jews do. Um, there's a number of people and groups that do. But, the, you know, the instructions and judgments and statutes and commandments of the Lord are much much more than just meeting on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments. So any of your Christian friends, or maybe perhaps you or I, who believe in their heart, oh, I, I obey the Ten Commandments. Really? And you worship on what day? You go to church on what day? So right out of the bat, you know, and then you can take them, Second Commandment, Third Commandment, I mean... We don't, for the most part, obey the commandments, but we somehow think we do. Okay, John 14, verse 15 and 18. You all know this. If you love me, this is Yeshua. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's usually where we stop. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So again, how do you get this indwelling of the spirit? By obeying his commandments. So if you believe yourself to be spirit led, ask yourself, if you obey his commandments, because twice, and we'll read this a bunch more times today, he has said, he will not give you the spirit unless you obey his commandments. So how is it possible for him to give you his spirit, indwell you with his spirit of holiness or his Holy Spirit, or however you want to look at that, if you don't obey his commandments? Because he said twice right here that that's how it works. If you keep my commandments, then you can receive the spirit. The English word, or the word translated as keep in this verse and in a bunch of other verse, verses uh, is shamar. And it means to both guard and protect. It's weird that, you know, that's what police cars say, right? On their, around their little, usually it's to guard and protect. 
Well, that's Shamar. They could just save a lot of printing and just put Shamar on there because that's what it means. So, and in Greek, it also carries the additional idea of a fortress. So that's what he's saying. You have to guard and protect his commandments. He doesn't say blow them off and I'll give you the Holy Spirit. He says, guard them, keep them, make them a part of your life. I'm serious about this, right? I, I you know, you have to do that. So, um, you know, co commandment number two is you shall not bow down to other gods, right? And all that stuff. And I look at the world and most of these people aren't, don't, don't even identify as Christians, but these people that are bowing down to the Fauci's and the Biden's and the, you know, the Klaus Schwab's and the Gates and the technocrats and all that stuff. Well, they're treating them like a God. I mean, how much time do you spend talking to your God versus whatever it is you do? You know, if, 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 the, if, if God is not the focus of your everyday, I mean, every hour motive, as you go through life and do stuff, I mean, we're all supposed to work, we're all supposed to meet people, we're all supposed to be the things that, um, you know, fill the desires that the Lord put in our heart. We each have different abilities and different interests and all that stuff. And that's how he made us to, to do those things and to be those things. And within the area of what your interest and expertise and ability and situation is, he wants to have people that know him, that can obey his commandments that are indwelt with his spirit to be a light to all of those people that you're with. So there's no, oh, you can't be saved because you're a, a lawyer or a dump truck operator or, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that, that's not the case. He's given us each abilities and interests to do a wide variety of things. And within those abilities and interests, he expects you to act as a disciple, to, to bring the knowledge of the truth to those that you're with, right? To shine your light, to be filled with the spirit and for you to be filled with the spirit, you kind of have to obey the commandments. So that's the biggest, uh, pretty big stretch for most people who call themselves Christians today. And again, I've said this a thousand times, and I want to make sure you get it. I believe the time is coming, soon coming. We get to the end of the second day of Hosea when everything changes and the Lord says, uh, on, in that place and on that day, when I call these people not my people, I will call them my people. So this day's coming at the end of the second day of Hosea when these attitudes are going to change. You read the last verse of Malachi that, you know, the, the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers, hearts of the fathers will turn to the children. And that's the day of Elijah, right? The last day. So the time is coming. It's not here yet. When people are at least going to have the opportunity, or I think be compelled by the Holy Spirit, to convert their current, you know, like most of you have, to convert your, your um, typical churchianity into something useful to the Lord. We will start to obey his commandments and do the things that he asks us to do. So when I say, you know, these people aren't doing it, I'm not, well, they're not doing it, but I'm not saying it like they're doomed because I think the time is coming. They're going to have the opportunity to make that change, but why why not do it now you know why not start serving the lord now um so if you ever have an opportunity to witness to actual jews uh one of the first arguments you're going to get in is well you you guys are polytheists 
you worship multiple gods, and that's absolutely wrong. The Bible is clear. You know, the Tanakh is clear that there's only one God. And you can try to explain to them a three-in-one thing until you're blue in the face, and it's never going to work. If you understand it as a spirit of holiness that indwells you, that's a gift of the Father, that's a whole different deal. And they can understand that. So if you ever find your... What's that? If a, a Jew will not, if you try to witness to a Jew, the first thing that's going to come up is you're, you're a polytheist or whatever it is. You work, worship multiple gods because we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're three different people. And we try to explain those three different people aren't really three, but they're one. But they're three, but they're only one. But if you read it in Hebrew, it's the spirit of holiness that God gives to you to indwell you and God and his son are the same person as the word. There's only one. And that's the way they understand it. Yeah. So it makes that discussion a lot easier. But it also makes it easier for us. Because some of us struggle with that whole Trinity. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. But the reason I believe is when Christ was uh, in the garden, Well, that's true, but you know he. He's got yeah. Well, he's in. He's 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 he, yeah. He came as a man for a temporary amount of time, and you know, and a Jew would get that because they're expecting that. They're expecting God to come back as the Messiah. They just weren't expecting that guy because like i said it didn't look like what they expected right they were expecting somebody to to rule and reign over israel and return it to world powership and all that stuff this wasn't the guy but he came you know he came as a man and as a man he was you know not really that into the whole crucifixion thing but he would do it because it was his father's will so i don't know i mean there's you know there are always going to be questions and you can ask them when you get there but yeah that's that's but that's the same sort of thing that will keep a Jew from receiving um, this because they just can't get past the whole three, three God thing. And you can't explain to them that all through your Bible, it talks about these three distinct people, but they're not, they're only one. Mm -hmm. So one step in that direction is to read it like a Hebrew would right to left as the spirit of holiness that is indwelt in you as a gift from God for your obedience to his commandments. And he sent his son to be obedient, to, to be obedient, to show us the way that if we are obedient, like this, you know, his son was obedient, um, then there's no more separation and death. In fact, there's resurrection and life. And if you recall, when we talked about Genesis 1.1, bear a sheet the bet is the house the house of god everything outside the house of god is bad everything inside the house of god is good the things that are inside the house are his son his son's wife and family and that's the son and a jew a jew would recognize that he would expect god to have a son and a family and be living in his house so that's not as big a stumbling block as the whole three-person trinity thing 
And the easy way to short circuit that is it's not the Holy Spirit, capital Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of holiness that indwells you as a gift from God for your obedience. Okay. Um, I can see we're going to be a little late tonight. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, or I would suggest spirit of holiness, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what are the things that he said to you? And among the things that he said to you are the instructions, judgments, statutes, commandments, if you will. And this, the job of the indwelling of the Spirit in you is to bring to your mind these things that he has said and you've read or heard in their case, they would have heard it. In our case, we've read it, but we forget it. And it's just, they go to temple every Sabbath and they hear, you know, the, the priest reads the scroll and they hear these things and they're no different than we, they forget too. So one of the jobs of the indwelling of the spirit is to bring to your remembrance, these things that you have read and these things that you have read have been instructions on how to live. And we get all messed up when we call them commandments as though it's a law and you have to do it, otherwise you'll get smitten. Because that's not true. We've all broken all of the commandments probably, or certainly most of them, and we didn't die. And we actually weren't even separated from God. Because the picture is that if, you, if your heart is to do that, is to, is to not remember these things, is to not do these things, then your heart is so hard, you will be permanently separated from uh, Yahuwah, and death is the result. But if, 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 you're, if you're doing your best, right, if you're trying to remember them, you're trying to do them like we do, um, although we will make mistakes, that's a whole different deal. So it doesn't seem likely to me that any spirit of God would lead you to a place where you just openly say the commandments are not for me. The things that God said are not for me. I mean, that's a dangerous place to be in any circumstance. And if, if you say that, you've got a Bible on your lap. You're saying two-thirds of this book doesn't matter. And you really think the Spirit of God would lead you to a place to get rid of two-thirds of the things that, that the Father said? I don't think so. So you have to ask yourself, what spirit is it that's leading you? Okay, Hebrews 10, 7. And then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book is written in me to do thy will, Elohim. The entire book is written. And we knew this from Genesis, the first word of Genesis 1, 1, Bereshit. He's building a house for his son and his son's family. So he says, lo, this entire book, the volume of the book is written of me to do your will. It's written of Yeshua. And he's all through, and I'm sure we've covered a bunch of that. Jesus, this Jesus that they, they have in their church, this Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, they say. He's on every page of the Old Testament. And we've looked at a million of those things. He's everywhere. And this is in Hebrews. This is, you know, one of the New Testament scholars. Um, the volume of the book is written of me, Yeshua, to do thy will, O Elohim. Um, so I would suggest if you're just focused on 
the New Testament and you believe there's nothing in the Old Testament for you, uh, you're missing two-thirds of Yeshua because he's in the Tanakh. Hebrews 10, 16, and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with the uh, with them after those days, and those days would be the days that Yeshua sat on his right hand. Saith Yahuwah, I will put my Torah in their hearts and minds, I will write it, and their sins and inequities I will remember no more. So how does he remember no more your sins and inequities? Because you have his Torah in your heart. You know his commandments, his instructions, his words. How do you do that if, if there's nothing in the Tanakh for you? Um, you know, this is the much ballyhooed new covenant that we hear so much about that's not new at all. It's just been replaced. It's off the page of the rock and it's in your heart. You live it every day. Hebrews 10, 20. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated through us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we've talked about this before, you know, and you guys all know this, even from your flannel graph days. Uh, one of the things that happened when Yeshua was crucified is all of a sudden the veil in the tabernacle was ripped in half. And it's four inches thick. It doesn't just, wow, look what happened. It doesn't just rip. This was on purpose. And why did it rip? Well, because that exposed the Holy of Holies. Well, why is that important? Because that gives us access to the Father to be saved, right? Because we're saved by the Father, not by Yeshua. Yeshua is the door to get to the Father. And we have to pass through him, get his approval to get to the Father. And he has to stand up for us and say, yep, that's one of mine, to be saved by the Father. But we have to have access to the Father. So in, in, in the days previous to Yeshua, you, there, was, there was no Messiah yet. He hadn't come yet. He was coming. They all knew he was coming. It had been promised a thousand times from Sunday, as they say. Um, and, and he was coming, but he wasn't here yet. So what they did was sacrifice bulls and goats. And, you know, there was a whole litany of things that they had to do. And those things, they, and they didn't have to do them. If they didn't, yeah, bless you. If they didn't do them, they weren't killed. They weren't even dis disowned from the family. They were just, they just didn't do it. They missed the blessing because all those things, bless you, are a blessing for us. Be gone, or however they do that. Where, where's, what's his name when you need him? Um, they were a picture of the things to come, the shedding of blood, all that stuff. So what did they do when they did these sacrifices? They would shed the blood, put it in, a bucket, a paint bucket, and they would take it in and the holy priest would sprinkle it all over the tabernacle. Why? That seems kind of weird because it's the blood that cleanses the tabernacle. They'd sprinkle it on the, you know, on all of the implements of the tabernacle. And then they'd go through the once a year, remember the high priest would go into the holy of holies and he'd sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. So I'm reading something the other day, and, the, and it was a question and answer thing. And the question was, which I guess I'd never thought of, if they're always sprinkling blood around the temple, who goes in to clean it? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a legitimate question. But because it says the blood of the sacrifice cleanses the temple, and that was... 
the action you saw every time there was a sacrifice. Once a year, the, the high priest would go in and he'd sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And this guy got out of that. Well, who cleans the, the, the temple up with all the blood? <sighs> Dude, <laughs> you're kind of missing the point. So when Yeshua dies on a cross, he shed his blood and his blood did what? It cleans the tabernacle to give us access to meet the father to be saved right to be no longer separated from him and that was the picture when the veil ripped and all that so you're saved by the blood led by the spirit bible reading or bible believing christian right well you're not led by the spirit of god if you're not doing the things of god so i don't know what spirit's leading you and you're not cleansed by being covered with the blood. You're cleansed by the pure water of the word. The tabernacle is cleansed by the blood to give you access to it now that you've been cleansed by the pure water of the word. And then they say, I'm Bible believing or Bible reading or whatever. It's like, no. <laughs> Because you would know this if you actually read the Bible, right? So I would say they're 0 for 3 on that. Um, but the point here is, I guess, Yeshua sheds his blood, right? And that's the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices that have led up to that. Because it's shedding blood, cleansing the temple, and all that stuff. So the temple is now cleansed. The veil is now ripped. The Holy of Holy is right there. God's house is exposed to you. Are you saved? No. Not unless you're willing to go in. Are you willing to do? I mean, he made it possible for you to go in. But you have to go in. You have to do that. You have to accept his offer. And that the thing some of these people don't get is if you're saved by being covered by the blood of Jesus, then everybody's saved by the blood of Jesus. There's no purpose in passing up the bacon-wrapped lobster tail. There is no purpose in us spending our time here reading the Bible and trying to learn all this stuff because he shed his blood. If everybody's covered by the blood, and everybody's saved because they're covered by the blood. What's the point? You, well, you have to go in. You have to enter into that covenant. He's made it possible now for you to do, because you could never do it before Yeshua came and died, because there was a veil in the way, and there was a priest in the way. And you couldn't do it. You'd have to make an offering outside. And the priest would take the blood in and make the offering for you. So I think the Catholic religion does is deny Christ That's right. on the cross because they want to confess to them. That's right. That's exactly right. The Catholics insist that you go to the priest and that you go to Mary. And if you look at the Catholics, like the comedian said one day, the little man is still on the cross. Well, he's not on my cross. Yeah. He's alive. So, but I think it's interesting that, well, it's not interesting, it's sad. So many people don't get this, that access has been given, but that doesn't save you. 
you have to take that access and appropriate the things of God to you. You have to want to be indwelt by his spirit, which will lead you to a place where you're obeying his commandments and doing the things he asks you to do. Now, do you want that? And a lot of people don't. I mean, I don't know if they would come right out and say it, but they don't because it's too big a burden, they think. You know? What about our confession uh, to the Lord? You know, right. Well, that's, yeah, I don't mean you physically have to walk in the temple. That's what I mean, is you're, you're, you're appropriating this gift that he's, you've, you've made a confession. Because I can't physically walk into, the, I mean, you can't now anyway, right? It's yeah. run by the Muslims. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a physical walk. It's, a, it's an emotional, it, you, you have to understand, you confess it with your, yeah. And that's what we read the other day in Romans 10, 9, I think. You confess with your lips that, what, the, uh, Jesus is Lord, and you can uh, believe in your heart that the Father raised the Son from the dead. And then you are saved. It's pretty simple, right? Who wouldn't do that? Well, that's, that's the confession. You have to do it. Yes. And if you're not willing to do it, then you haven't accepted his gift. And we've talked before, you know, oh, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Okay, awesome. You're under grace. What's grace? In Hebrew, it's Cain. Cain is to encamp with. So if you're under grace, then that means you're camping with the Father. So you've put your tent up, and in, in those days when they, you know, when, when they would move, the tents were put side by side, and they formed into a circle. So the tents were slightly pie-shaped. So imagine for a moment, you've agreed to all of this. You've agreed to God's grace to camp with him, and the the... the the burb moves or you know the whole group moves or whatever and your tent is sharing a wall with the father do you live in such a way that that would not be a problem could you live in such a way that god himself is your next door neighbor that's the idea of grace of camping next to so it's not like a get out of jail free card it's actually kind of the opposite of that are you willing to do the things that would that would make you comfortable living with a tent wall shared with God the Father. That would be, you know, but if you were following his instructions, sure, absolutely, because there would be no guilt or uh, worry on your part, because you know you're following the things he asks you to do. So it always gets back to the same thing. Hebrews 10, 26, 28, um, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, and this is frightening, there remains no sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moshe's Torah died without mercy under two or three witnesses. I mean, think about that. That's frightening if we willfully sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth and in some sense it's unfortunate that you're here because now you've received it so you don't want to willfully sin against it 
and you know we're never going to solve this tonight um we will continue to look into it but and yes it is it's exactly like the people in the wilderness yeah only two people of those two or three million made it so yeah okay romans 8 7 because the carnal mind is enmity against elohim and is for it is not subject to the torah of elohim nor indeed can it be got that the carnal mind the worldly mind if your mind is focused on things other than the things of god it it not only is your mind not subject to the torah it can't be you have to be indwelt with his spirit of holiness you have to understand him so certainly that's how paul understands it matthew 23 23 and 24 woe to you pharisees and scribes hypocrites you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and you but you have omitted the weightier matters of the torah mercy faith and judgment those you ought to have done and not left the other undone ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel not leave the other things undone so we've learned the house of yehuda what we call jews those people are awesome at keeping the law keeping the commandments they you know they do strain the gnats out of their you know whatever totally missed the judgment uh faith and mercy part they totally missed yeshua jesus right they got the law but they missed yeshua now the house of israel who scattered among the nations never went back i would suggest is us they're the seed of uh the nations of ephraim the gentile the goyim they're us They've got the judgment and mercy and faith part, but they're terrible at keeping the commandments. So what's going to happen? Ezekiel 37, Paul, uh, Romans chapter 11, Malachi, uh, Hosea, all these things, same thing. At the end of days, these two houses, the law and faith, are going to be brought together into one house. And that's when Malachi says the hearts of the children, us, the ones who got the faith and judgment and, and all that, are going to come to see or hearts of the children will come to the fathers. Fathers are Moshe, the law, the Torah, the Jews. There are, the hearts of the children come to the fathers, hearts of the fathers come to the children. All of a sudden, those two things are going to come together. And then you've got something Yeshua can use then you've got a group that's saved they are no longer separated there's no longer death present those are the people who he says he's going to collect bring together and bring back to the land you want a rapture there's your rapture he's going to take all those people back into the land and it will be awesome um, so you know again the question from dave a few weeks ago um if you're standing in front of God, who's not going to accept? Well, anybody would accept. But that's not really the question. Because he's the one who accepts, not you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. 
for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, if any man build his foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, everyone's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work to see what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. So this has always been one of those things where, um, and pastors don't usually want to talk about this, but I mean, it, this is what it says, is there will apparently be people in heaven who just get there by the skin of their teeth. They come in smelling of smoke, but they're there. So this is awesome, right? They're there. And then there are others who have lived their life in such a way that their, their, their deeds did not burn. They were not fire and hay and stubble. They survived the, the tribulation, the fire, and they enter. Awesome, right? God loves these people. They're doing exactly what he says. So when you, when you lay that picture out, it seems as though there are different levels of reward in heaven. And nobody really wants to talk about that because it doesn't really say that, but it kind of gives you the implication. You know, that these, these guys probably like me are going to get into heaven, still smelling like smoke, just barely making it in. And then there's going to be guys like, you know, probably these two here that are going to be in, you know, with big Cadillacs and a huge mansion and all that stuff. I don't know, you know, who knows how that's going to work. I don't know. But what I do know is he's asked you to do, he's asked all of us to do certain things. Well, and the thing is to obey him, to do the things that he asks you to do. So what does that mean? Okay, the obvious one is, you know, you probably want to worship on the right day. You want to, you know, you want to celebrate his feasts like he asked you to. You want to uh, eat the way he's designed for you to eat. There's, you know, there's a number of things. But mostly you want to be indwelt with the spirit of holiness so that as you pursue the day-to-day -day stuff that you're interested in and that, uh, you know, the Lord has made it possible for you to do, all of us have different jobs and do different things in different industries, meet different people, work different hours. Um, but in all of those situations, if we carry with us the spirit of holiness that he can, he can give us to indwell in ourselves if we obey him, then we can make disciples wherever we go, Right. And there's, there's, we've talked about Goshen and, uh, you know, the coming tribulation and all that stuff. And one of these guys that I uh, listen to a lot, he has said several times that wherever you are is your Goshen, right? Because, you know, Goshen was the, the Jews, the, the Israelites, the house of Israel was down in the, in the good land of Egypt. And Egypt was experiencing all this tribulation. And they were looking down at Goshen and nothing was happening to them. It was sunny and bright and flowers are growing and bees were flying and everything was good. And so they, they wanted to be like that. They wanted to go with those people. And his point is, wherever you are is your Goshen. If you're following him, if you're obeying him, if you're indwelt with his spirit of holiness, then wherever you are is your Goshen. And people will look to you in the middle of tribulation and go, well, I want to be like that. I want to be one of those guys. How do I get to there? And remember when the, when the Hebrews left, they took with them 
a million? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say. It says a mixed multitude, an Arab rob of people. They took with them a bunch of, he of uh, Egyptians. I mean, they didn't take them. The Egyptians said, whoa, 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 I'm going with you, baby. I'm not staying with this clown. You know, I'll go out in the desert with you anytime rather than stay in Egypt with this guy because they saw what God did for them. And if that's true, and if Paul is right in 1 Corinthians, and we're to look to the Exodus generation as our example, and the Exodus generation is pretty clear about Goshen, and God protected his people in Goshen, and if we're to look to that and believe in that, shouldn't we believe that wherever we are is our Goshen, and that he'll use us the same as he used them as a light in a, in a world that's going black through tribulation? And I see the tribulation coming. I mean, we all do. You're seeing it in Canada, running people down with horses and taking their kids. And I mean, it's just brutal. In Canada, there are no nicer people than Canada, right? The Canadians are the nicest, most mellow people there are. And they're running them over with horses, calling them Nazi flag waving. There's no Nazi flags. There's no Confederate flags. All this is a lie. So you see the tribulation coming. You know, and there's, we could spend weeks on that. But if wherever we are, because we believe and we obey, then that becomes our Goshen. There's no reason to believe he wouldn't protect us. Because I'm sure, and I've talked to a lot of you, what are we going to do? Should we like go buy a farm and, you know, I mean, that's what I think. Go buy a farm, grow your own food, have your own water, solar panels, get your own power, yeah. you know, but if where you are is your Goshen, being separate from the world that's in tribulation isn't particularly helpful. But living in a place where people can see you when they're all in tribulation and somehow you're surviving just fine, and they're going to ask, well, what are you doing? How is this working? And you can say, it's simple. It's all in the Torah. Read it and do what he says. You'll be indwelt by the same spirit I have. And all of a sudden, you'll be in your own Goshen. Okay. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Um, Not everyone that saith unto me, Adonai, Adonai, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that do does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Adonai, Adonai, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out the devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And this word iniquity in Greek is anomos. Anomos is law. Anomos is not law. Law is Torah. This is without Torah. I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that have no Torah, that don't know the Torah. I would suggest. Um, but how many people do you know that sit next to you in the pew who will say just this? Adonai, Adonai, didn't we? I came to church every week. I tithed. I, I ran the nursery. I cleaned the... And he'll say, sorry. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't keep the Torah. That's what, that's, that's literally, that's just what he said. The will of my father. Um, that's a whole three or four week thing, as I found out. Um, there are hundreds of verses that actually answer. You ask the question, what's the will of the father, right? Because that's what he said. If you do the will of the father, okay, well, what's the will of the father? Uh, 
It's pretty complicated. It can go everywhere from, say, Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my Elohim, yea, thy Torah is within my heart. So it can, it can go, the will of my Father is everything from you believe the Torah, the instructions, commandments, judgments, statutes, the Lord, and you do them, um, to say John 6.40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you think those are two, two, you know, completely opposite things, but they're not. This is exactly what he says in Revelation and a bunch of other places, where if you are the seed, if you're the remnant, if you're his house of Israel, if you're the people that are going to spend eternity with him and not be separated from him, then you have to have two things. Keep the commandments and have the testimony of Yeshua. That's what he's saying. All of him that's... Uh, um, that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and raise him up at the last day. And the will of the Father is also um, that, you, that the Torah is within your heart. And there are all kinds of hundreds of other things. For instance, Matthew 28, 18. And Yeshua came and spake to them, uh, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Abba, and of the Son, Ben, which is where we get that Abin, the, the word for stone, and of the Holy Ghost, the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Um, the will of the Father is, um, is pretty wide ranging. There are hundreds of verses and they will cite specific things to do to keep to the will of the father and i would suggest after looking at a bunch of those uh not any one of them is uh, is the path they're all the path we have to do all those things so it's i don't know um why did only five of the ten virgins get into the wedding feast matthew 25 verse 11 and 12 Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Adonai, Adonai, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So you remember the story? There were ten virgins, right, waiting for the bridegroom to come. And, of course, the bridegroom always tarries. And they were all drowsy and sleepy. And uh, he came. And the five said, We don't have enough oil. But the other five brought extra oil because they knew they'd need it. And they said, no, I'm not giving you any. You need to go buy some. You need to get it on your own. So think about what just happened here. There was five that were, well, all 10 thought they were invited to the wedding feast. Apparently five were not. The five who went in had all the appropriate stuff. They had the lamp. Now they were all drowsy and sleepy. And, and I want to I do a whole night on this because this is a super parable. Um, and that's not really what it means, drowsy and sleepy and all that stuff. But anyway, the point is, what did these five that didn't get in, what didn't they have? Oil for their lamp. Well, what's oil? Typically, picture the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of holiness. What's the lamp? Light unto my feet. It's the word. Two things they were missing. The indwelling of the holiness of spirit and the word. And yet somehow... They thought they were invited to the wedding feast. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
until you look at the church today, 95% of people sitting on the pews think that they are invited to the feast. And ask them why they think that. What biblical justification can they give you for being invited to the wedding feast when they don't obey the commandments, they don't take to heart his laws and rules, they don't worship on the right day, they don't celebrate his feast, they don't, they don't do any of the things that he asks. They can't even keep the Ten Commandments. So they'll say, oh, it's all about love. You know, I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Okay. Although he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But we'll just, just get rid of that for now. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Do they keep even those two? No, most of us don't. I mean, I have issues with my neighbors sometimes. <laughs> and that's not necessarily exactly what it means. But anyway, the point is, why would you think you've been invited to the wedding feast? And that's not just for your neighbors at church. That's for us. Why would you think you're invited to the wedding feast? Do you have the goods? I mean, that's a question you have to answer. But their light was so dim, and this, there was no spirit of holiness indwelling them. They didn't. And when they finally got it, because that's what it says, go to the, go to the dealers and buy it. You, of course, can't buy it, but you can get it. You know, you can be indwelt by the Spirit, and you can learn the Word, and you can believe it and do it, but for them it was too late, which is a frightening thought that there's a time coming that it will be too late. And it'll be well after, I suspect, well, not well, but sometime after the second day of Hosea is over, and the third day begins. And during that third day is when all this is going to happen. It's when you're going to see Ezekiel 37 come to pass, where the two trees of house of Yehuda and the house of Israel are brought together. When Romans 11 comes to pass, when you've got the wild olive branch and the natural tree and branches are broken off the natural tree and, and branches from the wild olive branch are grafted in to become the one tree as Ezekiel 37. That time is coming. But there's a time after that when it's too late. You can't, you can't go anymore and, and get the oil. You can't go anymore and learn. Because the, the wedding feast is over. It's done. You've been locked out, and he doesn't know who you are. It's a frightening, frightening thought. So remember at the wedding, there's a bride, there's a groom, there's members of the wedding party, and there's invited guests. Four groups. So we're going to talk about that at some point because they're, you know, Hopefully, everybody in this room is one of those four groups. And, and it doesn't really matter so much which, which one you are. As long as you're one of those four, you're inside the walls, right? You're inside that bet, that house in Genesis 1-1. You're in God's house. Amen and hallelujah. Okay, uh, you have a duty to act. And that's what the slide says. Okay, Romans 4-12. Abraham is the father of all who walk in the steps of faith. That's an action. John 1, 12, 13. To those who exhibit this belief are given the power to come, uh, become the sons of Elohim. Exhibit this belief. It's something you have to do. Matthew twenty-two eleven. 11. The king sees a man without proper wedding garments on. He's in the wedding. He's inside the gate. And the king comes and sees him. And what happened to him? Kicked him out. Kicked him out. 
Okay, Saul compares our, our, our walk to a race and a wrestling match. Um, you know, it's always an action. It's something you have to do. You can't just, just sit in the pew and say, oh, I'm covered by the blood. I'm good to go. It's not true. You have to accept it. You have to do something. You have to act like he's your God. You have to believe those things. Okay, so we're provided with this avenue of, 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 that's right. I mean, you know, and we don't have, we don't all have to do each of them, but we all have to do all of them, right? And each of you I know gives to this ministry or to that or serves, you know, actually shoe leather on the street or you can't do all of it, but you can all do some of it, right? And we need, we need to do that. That's our avenue of salvation. We need to understand what he asked us to do. And then we need to do it. Um, and I obviously am not going to have time to go through these last 43 pages. But I was going to read to you uh, um, from what you might call Numbers, Bid, Bidmar, Numbers chapter 16. And it's that chapter. They're all in the desert. And Moshe is talking to God face to face as a man would talk to his friend, it says. And, and, and Yahuwah is giving him instructions, things to do. And then uh, Korah and Dathan and Aviram come up and say, you know what? We're not happy with this arrangement. We think we could do better. We think we would do better leaders than you are. So we want to kind of like get rid of you and we want to be the guy. So we'll just start talking to God because we'll do a much better job. So you know what Moshe said? Grab your censers, your incense, come back and meet me tomorrow, and we'll see what God has to say. And so you know what happened? They came back, and it says 250 princes of the tribe of Levi. These are the priests. These are the pastors. These are the people running the church. They came with, with Korah and Aviram and uh, Dathan. And they said, we can do this better. So they brought their incense. And Moshe says to the Lord, okay, you decide. Is it me or them? And he says, you, you know, read chapter 16 because it's awesome. If, if, if nothing happens to those people, and they die the natural death of a man, then you'll know I'm wrong. And they should be the leaders. But if God does something different, like say, for instance, the earth opens up and swallows them down to Hades, then you'll know that he picked me. And he finishes saying that, and the earth opens up and swallows them and their families, and it says their households and their goods swallows them right down, alive, it says, swallows them down to Hades, and then the earth slams shut. Okay, that's pretty convincing. And then you still got these 250 Levites that are now going, huh, that didn't look so good. So he sends fire and kills all that. Lesson learned, yeah? So the next day, the people of Israel come to Moshe, and they say, you killed our prophets. God's going to slay you. And Moshe's going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't do this. 
And so he sees what the Lord is going to do. And he says to, uh, to Aaron, quick, go get a censer, fill it with coals from the altar and some, some incense and run, run out to the people because the Lord was killing people because that's what they thought. They hadn't learned the lesson. They're just like us. They want to be the chief. They want to be the guy in charge. They want to be able to tell God what they're going to do, not let God tell him, tell us what we're going to do. And so Aaron's filling up the altar with the, or the censer with the incense and the coals, and he's running outside and people are dropping and he runs past the last one that's dropping and he stands and he stayed the plague because the Lord couldn't go past the censer with the incense from Aaron. 14,700 people died, plus, it says, those that died in the rebellion of Korah. Because they all wanted to be king. They didn't want to do what God said. They wanted to do what they said. Read chapter 16 of Numbers and think about what's going on. And then compare it to us. We want to be in charge. We don't want to have to do what he says. We want to do what we say. We want to, huh? exactly that's the next sentence that's why we have 4300 denominations because we all want to do what we want to do if we just did what he wanted us to do there would be one <laughs> yeah i know every group in every church says the same thing but we're not us you know we do it right and so if you go and talk to talk to any member of any church about this they'll say well oh, i'm sure glad we do it right we don't. We, and, and most don't even attempt to. Most will tell you to your face. Those things don't matter because Jesus came and fulfilled, thinking destroyed, all of that stuff. So two-thirds of my Bible is useless. I don't even know why I carry it. I should just take a New Testament because that's all the important stuff. Well, that is sinful. And that gets you right here. I mean, the earth opened up and swallowed them. Fire came down and killed them. He sent a plague that was waving through. He would have killed them all. Except the man of God got between him and said, no, you, you can't. They're idiots and they're jerks and they deserve death, but there are people. Well, that's where we are today, I think. So you can skip all the Bidmar stuff. Um, Oh, and here's another good discussion verse. It's in Luke 6, 46. Why call me Adonai, Adonai, and do not the things which I say? How would your people in church answer that question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. So you've got a lot of work you can do with them. They would until you start pointing out what they don't because you'll be talking to them on Sunday, right? When do they celebrate the last feast? Are, are you coming to the Passover? The what? Yeah. When was the last time you had, say, bacon? That's a thing. Yeah, that's a Jewish thing. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay, look. All right. So you're going to read all of Bidmar, Numbers 16. I gave you a couple other things to read. Here's another one. Read Matthew 25, 
through uh, 31 through 46. It's called the final judgment. That's the one you, you will know it after you start reading it about the separating of the sheep and the goats, right? So that's coming. John 1, 2, 4 says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Well, how is that possible? They're led by the Holy Spirit, covered by the blood, and they're Bible-believing Christians. I don't know. Talk to John. <laughs> yeah. Ezekiel chapter 20, starting in verse 35. And I will bring you, and he's talking about the house of Israel. I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there I will plead with you face to face. This is at the end of time. Like I pleaded with, Aleph Top, your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will plead with you, saith Yahuwah, Adonai, or Adonai Yahuwah, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of what? The covenant. And I will purge out from you the rebels, or the disobedient, and them that transgress against me. And I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am Yahuwah. Okay, so there's a lot to think about. This is at the end of time. He's regathered his house. And he says, he's regathered them. He's already regathered them, right? And they're outside of uh, the River Jordan. They're in the land, but not totally in the promised land yet. And he says, I will purge out from among them the rebels. These are the people he's regathered. This is the house of Israel. And there are rebels still. There are disobedient still in that group. And he will purge them out and leave them on the other side of the Jordan before he brings us into the promised land. Don't be disobedient. Uh, Daniel 9, chapter 4. And I prayed unto Yahuwah my Elohim and made confession and said, O Yahuwah, the great and dreadful El, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned. We have committed inequity. We have done wickedly. We have rebelled. We have even departed from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, thy prophets, which spake thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Yahuwah, righteousness belongs unto thee but unto us confusion of faces as at this day to the men of Yehuda, the jews and to the inhabitants of jerusalem and to all of israel that are near and that are far off and again that word far off can mean in distance you know physical distance or it can mean in the distance of time so i would suggest if you ever think your name is not in scripture it's right there this is another one of those places where he has called you personally because you are one of those people who are far off in the distance of time through all the countries, whether you has driven them because of their trespasses as they have trespassed against thee. So go ahead and read the rest of Daniel chapter nine, and you'll see that they end like all of those chapters end, and you may have to read past nine, that his, he will regather his people. His people always swing back and begin to understand that they have sinned, they have not been obedient, and we need to be obedient. We need not to sin. We need to understand what he said, and then he will be our God, and we will be his people. He will find us acceptable. 
and he will regather us and bring us back to the land of Israel, to the promised land, and leave the rebels on the other side of the Jordan. So just because you get raptured to Israel, don't think it's a total shoe-in. It looks good, but you need to be obedient. You need, and, 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 and I mean, it seems obvious. You can't be obedient to the rules if you don't know the rules, right? And it's easy to say, oh, no, I'm led by the Spirit. I love everybody. And maybe that's true. You know, the Spirit of holiness might indwell you, and you might love everybody. But then don't tell me I don't have to obey those things. Because I like bacon, <laughs> you know. Those, those are two different things. You can't be both indwelt and be obedient. I mean, disobedient. You know what I mean. So anyway, that was the short version. Um, read number 16, just because it's, I don't know why Cecil B. DeMille didn't do that one. Number 16, chapter 16. That's the story that I just shared with you about Korah and Aviram and Dathan and the earth opening up and swallowing them down to Hades, them and their family and their possessions. Because they thought they could be captive. They wanted to do it better. It's the same thing that uh, Yaakov's 11 sons said regarding Yosef. He had these dreams that the sons were going to bow down to him. And they said, it's never going to happen. We are not going to bow down to you. You're a punk. Except that was the punk that Yahuwah had taken and was going to use. And he did use it. And, you know, a lot of people say he was, he was too immature. He never should have said those things. But he had to say those things. He had to share those visions with them so that they would know that that day would come when they bowed down to him and then they would understand that Yahuwah was doing something. And just like uh, he said, Yosef said, you meant this for evil, but I see now Yahuwah meant it for good because it was, it was their disobedience that Yahuwah used to save all of Israel. So don't get too wigged about your disobedience. <laughs> Or, you know, if you have a heart to serve him, and if you're indwelt with the spirit of holiness, he doesn't ask you to be perfect. He doesn't even ask you to be that good. He just asks you to want to follow him. And he, he, he wants you to understand that the road is open. He's cleaned the tabernacle. He's ripped the, the veil. And if you want to come in and be saved, you can if you want to come in and be indwelt with his spirit of holiness, you can, but you have to be obedient. And Daniel and Ezekiel and all of these guys will all tell the same story, that if you are disobedient, the apple, the bite out of the apple, chapter three of the book of Bereshit from the beginning, the first real lesson you get is that disobedience brings death and separation. So obedience brings life and closeness. You're reading the, reading the, 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 the 
the laws of the Torah and everybody says the same thing. Well, it says in there, you can stone your son if he's being disobedient, you know, and as a parent, we've, I mean, be real. We've all had those days, you know, maybe sometimes they deserve it, but that's not the message. The message is the same as Bereshit chapter three. It's disobedience brings death. It's the same message that we just read six times. Disobedience brings death. So be obedient. It's simple. All these things announce the getting to know the Lord. Exactly. And they don't even want to do that. But remember, the Lord came to Moshe, told him all this stuff, told him all of the Torah, all of the rules and commandments. And Moshe went to the people. This is before he went up on the mountain. Went to the people told them exactly what God had said. And they said, we hear and we will do all of those things. Yeah. Well, that lasted about a day. Yeah. And then they weren't doing him anymore. But based on that promise, he called Moshe up to the mountain and gave him the written version, right? Carved in tables of sapphire. They would have been beautiful. Well, by the time he got back, they were already, you know, worshiping a golden calf i mean this moshe we don't know where he went we don't know if he's coming back that's the way we are we are Korah and dathan and abiram and we're the people in the wilderness and it it takes an effort that's that's what paul said that's what those two or three little verses out of hundreds that i read there's an effort we have to do it it just doesn't fall from heaven. It's not like manna and falls on our head. But oh yeah, I got hit by a loaf of bread. I'm safe. No. It started with Adam and Eve. And they were disobedient and they died spiritually and were separated physically from God. Stiff neck people. That's us. Amen and hallelujah. So unstiff that neck. And that's what I was telling this lady is, is I have never felt freer than I do now, because now I know what he wants. You know, previously it was, you know, and you can admit it or not, but I think everybody who sits in a pew has that discussion with themselves. Is it really this easy? You know, do I not have to do anything? And then the pastor gets up and says, and you don't have to do anything. All been done for you. Yeah, well, that's not true. It, it has been done for you, but you have to do something. You know, and I, I don't know. It's freeing to me to know the truth, I guess. So anyway, next week we'll be somewhere else. I don't know.